Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study of the Book of Romans, Pastor Murphy showed us God's portrait of man. Today we'll study more about that second statement, There is none that understandeth. All right, if you've got your Bible, I'd like you to turn with me, please, to the book of Romans. I am reading from chapter 3, book of Romans, chapter 3. Well, let's read from verse number 9 this morning. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jew and Gentile, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under the lips. Whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Father, meet with us this morning as we gather around your word to contemplate on the contents of scripture. Help us to see the picture that you paint of ourselves. In our own redeemed state, this is exactly how we were. We were under wrath. We were under judgment. We were sentenced. And we knew that if we were to die before we trusted Christ, we would have been doomed to an eternity, an endless eternity. But in your sovereign grace, you reached down and you touched us and you called us. And you gave to us an understanding of our condition or our state. And we were moved to repentance and faith and trust in Christ. We don't deserve the credit. All credit goes to you. And I pray this morning as we meander our way through this passage of scripture. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to really, truly understand the dilemma that man finds himself in. Help us not to look at this world with a rosy picture. Help us to see it as you see it. Help us to see man as you see man. And help us to understand that there's only one rescue plan that can save man. And that is Christ's death on the cross. Oh Lord, would you help the church 
to know that you have entrusted the church exclusively with this message. The message of hope. May we understand the gravity of the situation and may we be moved to try to reach out to those who are lost without Christ. Someone reached us. Someone cared enough to leave their home, their comfort zone, to travel to a country unlike their own, a different culture. And who were willing to give decades of their lives to bring the glad tidings to us. Lord, could we be so evil as not to have the same compassion and concern upon those who were, who were still like us, like we were. I ask you this morning to take the book of Romans and really use it to impact the way we see people. Lord, that we would be more compassionate, be more concerned, and be willing to make more sacrifices in the interest of their well-being. We little understand why they respond the way they do with so very little interest in sacred things. But that mystery is explained to us when we look into the book of Romans. Because Paul really paints a picture. What a very dark, drab, melancholy picture it is. But it is man. It is my mom and my dad. It's my brother and my sister. It's my auntie. It's my uncle. It's my child. It's my roommate. It's my co-worker. It's my neighbor. This is the true state of man. I ask you again to help me this morning to do justice to your word. And to make your word come alive. And to make its meaning so clear and so potent. That we would be moved to go beyond just the ordinary. But to sacrificially try to reach others. For the Lord. We ask you to bless the word. We ask you to bless our time together. And we ask you Lord to use your word. For your purpose and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning. We once again find ourselves in the book of Romans. And it's our desire this morning to contemplate. On verse number 11. We have begun to take a very careful look. At these concluding statements the Apostle Paul gives us in this chapter. Remember the Apostle Paul is proving that man is guilty before God. And that man because he is guilty before God. He is under divine wrath. To make such a bold daring statement one needs biblical support. And what the Apostle Paul does as he comes to this concluding part of the chapter, that he amasses a list of Bible verses to confirm that all he has been saying is precisely correct and true. 
I have shown you and I have pointed out to you that these closing verses of chapter 3 are actual Old Testament quotations from the book of Psalms and from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Man is a villain. Man is a felon. Man is a rebel. Man is a fugitive from God. Man is guilty and man has been sentenced. And there is a divine warrant out for man's arrest. In pursuit of man, God has called the bounty hunter called death. And God has told death, pursue man until you execute that just sentence. This is the dilemma that man finds himself in. Now the sobering truth about man is that while he is guilty before God and under divine wrath, and while the bounty hunter of death is in pursuit of him, man keeps running and keeps running and keeps running. And everything that man does from the time he is born until he finally dies, he is trying to avoid meeting the bounty hunter called death. He eats his healthy foods. He exercises very faithfully. He makes sure he doesn't miss his vitamins. And of course, these days, he watches his weight. He goes to get his checkups. He monitors every single symptom. And he adds all kinds of supplements. He visits his doctor and then finally he takes out insurance. And then he tries to stay awake at night. That is how man is. Everything he does is to avoid the inevitable. That one day he is going to die. Now may I say to you this morning. That this appointment that you have with a bounty hunter called death. It may be delayed it may be postponed, but hear me, it's inevitable. It's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. But do you know the incredible truth about man? Is that why man knows this earthly existence has a finite point. And knows also that it has what I call an eternal afterlife component he behaves and he lives as though he's immortal now I ask you a question this morning my dear friend is there any greater act of insanity that man would live so carelessly and so recklessly the apostle Paul is trying to say to us that man is in trouble. Listen, if you are not a Christian this morning, your plastic smile is just a plastic smile. I am saying to you, the reality is, you will have a final encounter with death and after death with God. It is that serious, friend. It is that serious. 
Now the question of course is, how is it that man in this kind of dilemma could be so blissfully blind to what his real situation, how is he so fundamentally deceived? Why does he go on living as he wants to live? Why does he not bring his life in line with what God said? Because it is very simple. He's insane. Totally insane. Now my reason for saying that is to let you know that there's something called the biblical doctrine of human depravity. And what that means is that everything about man is distorted and twisted. Man has been totally deranged. In other words, his entire personality has been bespoiled. His senses, his mind, his drives, his emotions, his will, his thinking, and yes, even his understanding. That's why Paul says, there's none that what? Understandeth. Every faculty is distorted. Every faculty is deranged. Every faculty is corrupted. Because there's no other explanation for the way man lives. Than the fact that he is so depraved. Now you'll notice in Romans chapter 3. The apostle Paul paints what I call the darkest picture of a human profile that you will ever find anywhere, whether outside scripture or inside scripture. What a dreadful profile it is, and how incisive is Paul's analysis of the problem that man faces. By the way, what Paul writes here is a Christian challenge to everything modern man believes about himself today. I don't know if you realize that. This is unique Christian doctrine. You don't find this in textbooks. This is too morbid to be included in textbooks. And when you come to a passage like this, uh, you would realize that we have a completely different concept of man and what the modern psychiatrists and psychologists tell us. They have what I call a romantic view of man. Generally, the sea man is an innocent being who has been traumatized and wrongly socialized by the environment and society. They see man as a victim. A victim. A victim of his circumstances. So they see man that we can't blame man because man is a victim. When you come to the Bible, we find it very opposite. We don't have no romantic opinion of man. We have a realistic view of what man is. That man is not a victim. Man is a criminal. He has willfully gone against God. So you have to decide this morning which view is correct. Which is... But I want to say to you that you can argue all you want to. You put your fingers in your ears and say, I don't want to hear that. It makes absolutely no difference because this is God's indictment against man. Whether man approves it 
likes it or not. It is truth. And it is what I call true truth. See. About man. Now, you remember that uh, in these final statements, we began taking a very careful look at these statements of Paul. If you were here last Sunday morning, we picked up that first statement in, in verse number 10, where Paul says, there's none righteous. We spent an entire sermon dealing with that particular statement, there's none righteous. Now, I've already dealt with that last Sunday. And I do not think that it's right for me again to, you know, it would be superfluous for me to go into that again and probably bore you to death. <laughs> so what I want to do this morning is to take up the next statement of the Apostle Paul. Where Paul says in verse number 11, there is none that understandeth. Now he's already told us there's none righteous. No, not one. But Paul doesn't stop there. He again comes to a second statement. He said, there's none that understandeth. Now what amazes me about the Apostle Paul is that he's never once embarrassed to make these broad, sweeping, universal statements. Not embarrassed. When Paul says none, it means none. He doesn't feel that he has to make any apology for a statement that is none that understandeth. He leaves no loopholes for any protestation or any exception. There's none that understandeth. Now how are we supposed again to understand this statement of the Apostle Paul? May I once again ask you some questions about that? I mean how are we to understand there's none, none that understandeth? Is this what you call a Freudian slip? You ever heard that expression? <laughs> you know, is this what has happened to Paul? Is this, as I pointed out to you, some kind of a literary hyperbole? There's none that understandeth? Is this Jewish exaggeration? Is this Pauline bias? Is this Old Testament extremism? There's none that understandeth. Now the reason why I'm saying that, I am absolutely sure that if we had some intellectuals, well we do have some intellectuals sitting before us, I would, I would hope you would think and you would believe. After all, there are people in our church who have got their BAs, they've got their MAs. So we have, we have, a, we have a, the intelligentsia before us. And we may have some other people who slipped into the church this morning who are high profile individuals. They said, Pastor Murphy, I've been to the UWI. Well, I couldn't care if you've been to Yale or if you've been to Harvard either. See? You can go all to all the schools. See? But what I would say to you this morning, human pride would raise an opposition and protestation against a statement like this. Because when you consider the brilliance of man, to make a statement where you say there's none that understands. Sure, Paul, something wrong with you. Maybe, maybe those ignoramuses in the first century who never went to high school or primary school, they didn't understand. But Paul, you're not referring to our enlightened, intellectual, modern day man. Well, could I say something to you that might shock you? This is not Paul speaking. This is God speaking through Paul. 
And God knew those in the first century. He knew those in the 21st century. So when he says none, it means none. It means none. Now, I want to say this, that when the Apostle Paul says there's none that understandeth, the Apostle Paul is not here referring to the fact that man has a kind of a secular, earthly, carnal understanding. So let's be very, very clear what Paul means. I don't think there's anybody in here who will dispute with me that they have many great minds out there. Listen, some of them have become very proficient in the arts and the sciences. I mean, their reputation is legendary. They have all kinds of documentaries and programs. And and when you see the extent of the knowledge that they have, you almost sit with your jaws dropped and wonder to see, is this man in all of his brilliance? Some of them are people who are competent in the area of law and business and economics and politics and government. I mean, we used to have a debate with them on these particular secular subjects. They will make you feel as though you're a baby, a child of no understanding. They have unusual ability. And many of them, of course, are masters of these academic disciplines. So what does Paul mean then when he says, there is none that understandeth? I want to suggest to you, That's another way we can understand what Paul means here. There's a a word that is used synonymous with this word understanding in the the scriptures. There's a word that when it is used in the book of Proverbs, it's used in apposition. It's used in, 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 in what is called Jewish parallelism. I say one thing and I repeat it in another way. And when you come to the Old Testament and you look at this word understanding and how it is used, you'll find that frequently the Bible said, get wisdom. And with wisdom, get what? Understanding. It is just Jewish parallelism. It is saying to you that what Paul is talking about here, about understanding, he's talking about wisdom. And the Apostle Paul is not just talking about any kind of wisdom. He's talking about that wisdom which could perceive divine truth and understand truth about God. And that is why Paul says there's none that understandeth. Do you know how the Bible describes man? The Bible describes man as a fool. It says that man's companion is folly. And that is why Paul can make this, what might seem to be an outlandish statement, where he says, there's none that understandeth. He's talking about having insight into divine things. He's not talking about secular knowledge and secular wisdom. So I hope I brought some clarity to what the Apostle Paul means when he says, there's none that understandeth. He's dealing here with the apprehension of spiritual truth and divine things. And when it comes to these matters and respect to man, man is a babe and man is a child. For the Bible said, the natural man understandeth not the things of the spirit of God. There are foolishness unto him. Now we're beginning to make sense what Paul is dealing with here. So if you're sitting here this morning... And you say, Pastor, I, I, I got great understanding. I'm not going to dispute with you. 
I'm not going to speak to you. Pastor, I'm an unsafe person. But I have insight into so many subjects. I'm not going to question you either. But all I will say to you, that if you're here unsaved, you don't know a thing about God. You can't comprehend spiritual truth. You lack what the Bible calls wisdom. And the Bible says wisdom is the what? The beginning of, it's the ABC of knowledge. And that's what man, fallen man lacks. He's not only unrighteous, but he's also lacks understanding. Knowledge of divine truth, comprehension. The apprehension of divine, this is what he lacks. You remember how Solomon described it? As he looked at the world and all that there was, the man on his side, he said, what? It is vanity of vanity and vexation of spirit. See? That was his assessment. The truth about us and the hard truth for us to accept is that we are born with what I call a peculiar handicap. Every one of us was born with a handicap. Well, pastor, I got two good hands, I got two feet. I'm missing the ears. My nose is in the right position. Don't you see I can walk? You know, I can talk, I can, I can speak, I can, I can sing, I can. But do you know that you were born with a handicap? You know what that handicap is? You were born with your spiritual light gone dead. I repeat, you are born with your spiritual light gone dead. The Bible says we were dead in trespasses and in sin. See? So, and by the way, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18, Paul explains this. In verse 4, 18 he says, having the understanding darkened. Darkened. That is how every man comes into this world, with a darkened understanding about spiritual things. And that's why the language of scripture is so brutal. It says you are dead. Doesn't mean you are not physically alive. It means that you are spiritually dead to the things of God. The handicap that you were born with, that you were born with a darkened mind. And by the way, Paul goes on to explain why this is so. He says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 19, the reason why we have our understanding darkened, listen to his words, being alienated from the life of God. Being alienated from the, that simply means that when man fell, man became an alien from God in the sense that man was now separated from God. And to be separated from light is to embrace darkness. And that is how our understanding became darkened. So you're a nice little cute little baby that seemed to be the darling of your life. You said, Pastor, she's a normal child. No, she's not normal. He's not normal. She's born with a handicap. The understanding is darkened. The life of God has been... And what the gospel is about, basically, is that this God from whom man has been elated has come to give man the life, which he says is the what? The light of man. When life comes in, spiritual life comes in, the light goes on. And now we begin to understand. 
But we're talking here about fallen man. And we're pointing out to you that the Apostle Paul says. He's without understanding. By the way. This is why you can take the most sacred holy things. And put it before the unsaved man. And he sees absolutely no value in them. As a matter of fact, he wants to know why you are disrupting his life. He wants to know why you are putting impediment to his own personal achievement. He wants to know why you are impeding his progress. He has other goals to bring this sacred, religious, whatever it is. It has no value for him. He sees it as totally irrelevant. And it has no bearing on the problems of life. Now may I say this to you. Was it not our Lord who told us in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6. Cast not what? Your pearls before what? Swains. Why? Why? You remember what he says? He said, lest they trample them underfoot. And then he said, lest they rend you. Because they have no inclination towards spiritual things and their understanding is so darkened, they see no value in sacred things. And as a result, they want to tear you apart. I'm just saying to you, our Lord understood this very clearly. And he pointed out to the disciples, this is exactly what you're going to face. You're going to enter the world and you're going to take the sacred things of God and you're going to send it to swine. By the way, in the same passage, he also calls us dogs. Does that offend you? <laughs> this is the day where you've got to watch your language. <laughs> to call people dogs and swines is so highly offensive. But our Lord is using the language because the only way you shake people up is to shock them. See? We become so desensitized with all our niceties, all, all the words. We can't seem to move people out of their lethargy any longer because we say pleasant things. But our Lord was never concerned about pleasantries. What he was really concerned was to shock people, to wake them out of their common state of depravity. To let them see their need. And so he uses that very, very strong language. So today, the average person thinks that Christianity is outdated. They think it is antiquated and belongs to another age and another generation. They believe that the Christian faith is too remote from everyday 21st century life. And I would say to you, such thinking proves the very point Paul is making. That there's no understanding among fallen men. Now this morning, I want to mention to you as I elaborate on this particular phrase of the Apostle Paul. I want to mention four areas that there is a clear lack of understanding among fallen men. It's not enough to tell us there's none that understandeth. But let me just begin to elaborate on those areas where I think that man is so deficient when it respect to his understanding. And I want to mention these four things this morning. Let me mention these. Number one. 
The first thing I would say to you that validates this statement is that man has no understanding in respect to the truth about God. There's considerable amnesia in man. And unless God were to remove that amnesia, man remains in his lost condition. But when it comes to truth about God, there is a significant deficiency in, in relation to man. There's also a hostility against this knowledge when you try to pass it on to man. Consequently, man displays this level of lack of understanding. What does he not know about God? What does he not understand about God? I want to suggest to you that unless God enlightens man and God, God informs man and, and God quickens man, man does not understand what I call the eternal nature of the triune God. He can't comprehend that. He finds it hard to believe. You know, sometimes you're trying to explain the Trinity, which is very difficult. And people believe that there are three gods. When you tell them there's, there, there, there are three persons but one nature, they can't grasp that. Now, it's only when we are enlightened by scripture that we are given some understanding of what this is. It is not something that I can derive by my natural thinking. If I began to think of a triune God, I begin to think of a three-headed God. But when I come to scripture, I discover that the Son is God, the Father is God, the Spirit is God, yet they're one. But what does that mean? One in nature. Let me use an example here for just a moment. We can have three executives in a boardroom. But they're three human executives. They're three persons but one nature. See, That's the biblical concept. That whatever the father is by nature, the son is by nature, the spirit is by nature. But they're not one and the same. Now there's a guy on television that is very popular. Jakes. T.J. Jakes. Do you know that T.J. Jakes does not believe in the Trinity? T.J. Jakes, you know that? I don't know if you know that or not. He believes in something called modalism. You know what modalism is? Modalism is that God the Father took on the form of his son. And then took on the form of the spirit. It's, it's one person putting on three different masks. That is not the Christian doctrine. That's like God talking to himself. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he turned into a dove and, and, and he landed on the sun. I am saying to you that apart from divine revelation and God opening a man's eyes, he could never come up to the concept that there is a triune eternal God. It's the scriptures. But God brings that enlightenment to us. I want you that man could never understand God's holy character as well. Can you ever conceive of a being who cannot bear to just look at one sin? Can you conceive of that? Can you conceive of a being that one sin has defiled the entire universe? You can never conceive of that. But that's the biblical conception of God. Holy, absolutely holy. No defilement, no mark whatsoever. See? And by the way, this is what he demands. 
If you're going to live with him, if you're going to be with him in glory, he demands perfection. Can I tell you something? You're in trouble. You're in real, real trouble. Because I don't know about you, sir, but I am totally imperfect. But could I let you into the mind of God for just a moment? When God looks down from heaven and he sees David Murphy with all of his problems, all of his worries, all of his fears, all of his anxieties, all of his evil thoughts. You know how he sees me? He sees me in Christ. That's how he sees me. As as holy as Christ is, as righteous Christ, he sees me. Otherwise, he can't deal with me. I can't pray. I can't do anything. See? And that is why the Bible emphasizes that there's only one solution to the problem. It is God's rescue plan. Christ and Christ alone. No other way. Where I descend this morning, I have said to you that man has also no understanding about the glorious attributes of God. You know what the word aseity means? You know what infinity means? You know what the word immutability means? Those are terms that only refer to God. His character, his attributes. And he said, my ways are not your ways. So man has no knowledge of the divine ways of God. As far as the heaven is from the earth, so are my ways than your ways. Can you comprehend the ways of God? Can you figure out why God does what he does? Does it make sense to you? Man lacks this understanding. And then can you understand God's eternal purpose? Look, you look at this checkered world with all its confusion. You got ISIS. You got Iran. You got North Korea. You got Syria. You got Russia. You, you got America. <laughs> Don't leave her out either. She's not this great angel you think, right? <laughs> you got all of these, and they seem to be, you, they seem to be, what in the world is going on? Where is there any purpose to all of this? A man straps himself with suicide bombs, sit inside a place and blow everybody up. A man takes a bus, literally takes a bus. And chases down the population down in town. Runs over them. Kills them. And he does it in the name of Allah. Where is there sense in this? What's the purpose of all of this? But I want to say to you that whether you know it or not. There's a divine hand that guides in their world affairs. Because they are converging to one common purpose. The Lord's return. It is bringing this world not to peace. It's bringing this world to a complete chaotic situation. Where the prince of peace has to intervene. That's where we're headed. Your hope is not in man, it's in God. But how many men understand that? The ways of God. We can talk about the hidden providences of God. We can talk about God's sovereignty. But while we look at this divine person, the truth of the matter is, it is only we who are Christians have been given into the the knowledge of these things. Not exhaustively, 
but at least substantially. The unsaved man, Paul says, there's none that understandeth. He cannot understand secret secrets because these are family secrets. Belong to us. Listen, if you're an unsafe person here, could I say to you, you're missing out big time? Big time. You need to know our God. And be brought into that knowledge that helps you. That no matter what life throws your way, you can still see a light leading you out of this darkness. The point I'm making here this morning is that when it comes to God, God remains what, I call, what is called the Deus Abscondus to the unsaved man. The Deus Abscondus means the unknown God, the hidden God. See, But to us, we have been enlightened. See? And we know our God. See, We know our God. Now you should be saying hallelujah for that. Bro. If you're Pentecostal here, be jumping, hit the roof. We just, we just don't appreciate what we have. We don't really understand what God did when he took those scales from your eyes and, and brought you to an understanding. We're not living like the unsaved man. Or the, his, his, the extent of his life is between his face. He can't see beyond that. He lives only for time. Here now, he doesn't project into the future. Brother, I'm saying to you, thank God. Thank God. That we have been given an understanding of these things. Be sure that you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us three more areas where man lacks understanding. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268 462 4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.